0: Hey everybody, I'm Dan Kurtzky and welcome back to the show. You know, this time we're going to be taking a look at Green Lantern Mosaic number three. This is the John Stewart solo series from 1992, and this one opens <laughs> kind of unexpectedly, which really should be expected for this series, but but not not to this degree, because it's... God damn it, I swear to God, every time you think you've seen it all of this book, um... So it's it's your it's your almost cliche scene of of the the overbearing or borderline abusive boyfriend, okay? Except it's John Stewart clutching Rose, I forget her last name, but she's you remember me talking about her from uh, the first episode of this. Uh she's the um the one standout human character plucked from earth to be part of the mosaic you know her whole town is there she's one of the few there that are working for peace and whatnot and she's there with her son whatever so john is holding her tightly demanding let's see his i'm gonna read his exact words are come on baby just one kiss for your big bad old superhero and she's screaming no john and right away, you're like, "What the? What?" And I mentioned they're about 200 feet in the air at the time, because <laughs> they are. that's kind of, there's clouds everywhere. I mean, he's flat even talking about like not wanting her to be in control of the situation. It's it, it's all very awkward and very uncomfortable. And it and you know, I'm 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 borderline laughing, and that probably makes me come off like a horrible, horrible person. But it's just like, you have to read this for yourself because it's so it's it's such a odd combination of of risque, terrible, and bizarre that it it's it almost pre- it prevents you from taking it completely seriously. It's as with most things with this book, you have to see it for yourself. But like, because that's not just that's not gonna do it justice. But anyway, she's demanding he put her down, so he obliges by getting this giant smile on his face and just letting go, and she just falls to her doom. <laughs> Luckily, John kind of snaps out of it and realizes, oh, oops. So he he catches her with a big green hand and he brings her back to her house where her son's playing in the yard with her dog, and you know everything for for a couple panels, everything is all good until they touch down and and you know her son's there and John just begins to choke her son with his bare hands <laughs> where where did this come from <laughs> um, you know she she separates the two of them and John snaps out of out of it again he's going on about about you know the chaos in this place and you think he's talking about the mosaic and that's what Rose thinks too cuz she says She talks to him about how, you know, okay, this, you know, this planet is so weird and stupid and we don't know what we're doing and it must be really stressful on you having to protect us all and make it all work, but John's like, he snaps back at her, he's like, no, I'm not talking about the planet, I'm talking about this house, it's a mess, it's everything's everywhere, everything's filthy, It's, it's all like unwashed and strewn everywhere and and he keeps going on about how she needs order 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 and which is really it's it's kind of cool because it's like this house and the contents of this house is like this a microcosm of the larger conditions of the mosaic itself where everything is just kind of scattered haphazardly all over the place you have to figure out how to make it work how to where to put everything, how to use everything so that nothing's lying around, wasted, or in the way. It kind of brings the mosaic home. That's a terrible pun, which I didn't even do on purpose. But um, it kind of grounds the mosaic again in reality that you and I can relate to. Because I don't know about you, but more than a few rooms in my house are constantly a mess and constantly cluttered. And... And it's hard enough to keep up with when you don't have the weight of the world on your shoulders, you know? Um, Combine that with the very real down-to-earth themes that we just saw in the last two pages. Because this is page three. We're only on page three. It's very very non-sci-fi. It's very, you know, this scene could have been exactly the same if it was written on Earth. Earth or in New York City or in Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter where it is, you know um um John gets another which i which I think is probably the second very parallaxy, parallaxian. yeah, we'll say that moment where he just kind of looks down at his ring and basks in its glow and he says says something to the effect of you know, with this ring, I can fix everything. And there's probably my favorite little transition of this issue, where he, s- he says, because he just said, he said the words, with this ring I can blah blah blah, and he snaps back and he's like, with this ring, because he remembers his wife right then, and, you know, because the whole part of the oath, you know, with this ring i be wed, and that kind of pulls him back, and he's he starts remembering her, and his loss, and his sacrifice, and it makes him, it, it shakes him to his core, again. He just takes off. He gets out of there. You know, Rose. She's trying to tell him as he's pleased. You know, it's it's. You're just under a lot of stress. You're strained. This situation is it's terrible for everybody, but you especially because you have to bear the brunt of it. And John's just he can't accept that. He can't ex- accept that it's just the situation they're in. To him, it's very blatantly just the truth of the people who are in the situation like the situation itself doesn't matter other than other than the fact that it's bringing everybody's faults and shortcomings to the surface you know whether that be whether that be an abusive nature or bigotry or just anything or fear anything and as he's trying to quell all of this throughout the mosaic it he just he just sinks farther and farther down. he gets more and more is bloodlusty a word <laughs> you know he he goes so far as to you know he's his intentions are good he's trying to stop some people from beating up on a guy, but then he just keeps going and he just get his eyes get red his ring like the cer- the center circle of it starts to glow red, and this guy's just begging for his life, and John doesn't kill him he he stops himself. But it takes this guy he's wailing on to just tell him, like, look, no, I don't... Please don't hurt me. I didn't want to be here. I just want to live. That's all. And and John just kind of stumbles away, stumbles into the air. And just kind of on autopilot, he finds, he finds himself back to where he always finds himself. The road. The road that he's trying to build with the people of this patchwork civilization. As a way to to unify them in more ways than one, because you know they have to work together to build the road, and then once the road is built, they'll have something to connect all of their cities. But you know, every single night it gets destroyed. Not the whole thing, pieces of it. Just it's it's just just enough that they can't make any real progress. You know, two steps forward, one step back, and all that. And you know, the 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 workers are getting restless. They're demanding to know why, John isn't protecting the road why he can't do this this is this is like the one thing you have to do just do it right and stop messing it up god it and it's not that simple but you know what in this situation attention and emotion runs so high it doesn't even matter nobody's gonna be rational and you know they're they're specifically demanding you know where were you today when the road was smashed and john tries to answer but he has no idea he seriously, he has absolutely no, mem- no memory of it. So he demands the ring tell him, where was I this morning when my road was destroyed? Because, you know, the rings, they keep, they're kind of like the little black box of an airplane, you know, they keep track of your movements and file reports with the guardians and all that crap. But the ring won't answer, it can't answer, because somebody wiped its its memory banks, or if you want to call them, of that morning. He says, "So who, who the hell could have done that to my ring? Nobody, but me." It's, you know, this is John realizes. You know, he, he must have been the one to wipe his ring's records to, to hide the fact that you know, he himself must have been responsible for the destruction of the road. You now he orders the ring to probe his own mind, and it. <laughs> this is so weird because it gets very. You get a shot of John Stewart talking to his ring, and he's telling, you know, the the usual stuff, you know, probe, ring probe my mind, tell me what's in me, you know, why do I attack in the night, tell me why I destroy the, my work. And the ring says no. But unlike today, where it's like a, a green-tinted, lantern-shaped word bubble that's kind of flowing off to the side, it's a regular dialogue balloon. It's white, it's in the same font as John's dialogue, and it's got like the little... Little directional tail pointing at the ring, so he's talking back and forth with the ring as if the ring is like a regular person. Yeah, you know, this is something they do in Green Lantern books every now and then. Anyway, you know, the the ring or the voice in, within the ring or whatever is talking about how John's mind is disorderly, how he's got good structures in there, but it's too much of a jumble, and how you, you know John doesn't even deserve his mind and. You know, with that, John realizes exactly what's going on. He knows who this is. He demands that they leave. And the voice within the ring says, Absolutely not, but you can come inside. We have this sequence that I I take to be completely symbolic. Because it's, it's like a big claw comes out of his ring. I guess it's more of a tongue, really, but or a snake or something. But it cu- reaches out of his ring... Wraps around him, pulls him inside his own ring. So I, th- I don't take this as physically going on. I think this is—it's just symbolic of, you know, John's mind, his consciousness descending into itself. You know, so like while this whole, whole following scene is happening, John Stewart himself is still physically standing there on Oa. And as he's going down through his mind, you get to see all the architecture and blueprints and all this stuff that kind of make him up while he's he's having like this philosophical debate with the the big red snake that's pulling him down and as he gets further and further into the depths of his own mind, this snake gets more and more characteristics you know at first it looks like it's just like a big red ribbon, then all of a sudden it starts to have you know your your typical you know uh fanned out snake back of the head it looks like a cobra i guess then all of a sudden it starts getting it gets hair it's got a face it's starting to talk to him more and more and more and john's going crazy he's like he's like no 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 this isn't right this isn't happening we killed you you're dead you turn the page there's this great two-page spread where he just yells you're dead sinestro and it's just a gigantic Sinestro head. And it's with its big red tongue wrapped around John. It's 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 really kind of creepy. Because it looks like they're in hell. But uh, I guess that's kind of appropriate since they're in John's mind. <laughs> and John gives a nice bit of exposition that, you know, you know, when the Corps executed Sinestro, they must have done it too close to the central battery because the soul must have escaped into the battery... And then jumped into John when John charged from the central battery. And while John's doing us a favor and telling us all this, uh, Sinestro eats him. Just, boop, gone. So now, we get back out on the outside. John Stewart's body is now being completely controlled by Sinestro. So you basically got Sinestro running around as Green Lantern John Stewart. And what's his first order of business? He is going to subjugate the the mosaic. I mean, that, that's what he does. That's what he got thrown out of the core for. He did this to his home planet of Coragar, and now he can do it here, right under everybody's noses. Because he, again, who's not who's gonna know? He's not John Stewart. Even the Guardians don't know what's going on there. <laughs> and let's face it, John has done some pretty crazy shit uh, in the last. <laughs> That's, what, two issues? So I think Sinestro could probably get away with a good deal before anybody starts to wise enough and say, hey, now, something's not right here. And while and whilst Sinestro's kind of in the driver's seat, we get some interesting parallels here, because s- these two characters, Sinestro and John Stewart, have something in common, at least, during this, this time period in John's life, and that they both want order and peace and perfection. You know, they just go about it from two different angles. You know, you know, John wants it through... John wants it through wisdom. But Sinestro believes the only way you can get there is through control. And I'm immediately reminded of the... uh You know, to make a Marvel Comics parallel, the difference between Xavier and Magneto. Where they both want the exact same thing. They want a peaceful, safe world for mutant kind to live in. Xavier thinks that, you know, you can get there through through peace, through coexistence and understanding. Whereas Magneto says, you know what? No, the only way we're going to get there is if we force the humans to let us be there. So so right here, you can kind of look at John Stewart and Sinestro as Professor Xavier and Magneto, if Xavier was completely batshit crazy. And apparently Sinestro has been inside John's subconscious, he's been able to see Kind of through John's eyes, so he knows all about all about the mosaic already and all about all the races there and and he's already got it set up perfectly in his head how he's going to use them to exploit each other, you know, like there's uh what do they call them the mind slugs, which I take to be just really powerful telepathic giant slugs <laughs> John was concerned that these creatures would kind of hamper the personal freedoms of other of the rest of the mosaic, because, you know, they can control their mind, or influence their mind, or read them, or whatever, and Sinestro realizes, you know what, I can use these to control people, and remember the feel-goods? I mentioned them a couple, uh, I mentioned them a little while ago, not this episode, but, you know, there's these little bears that, they just empathically make you feel good, and, he's basically going to use them as drugs, you know, you just they look more like koalas than I thought they would but, you know, he's he's going to use them as drugs to keep people subservient and complacent and compliant because, you know, these are the these are the little bears that as all you have to do is be around them and you feel this ecstasy, you know you're he even call, says, you know, these are the opiates of my new masses and they look so afraid and while he's going off, he he goes on like this for another couple pages, you know, where he's he's going around, he's he's corralling certain people, he's t- taking the homes away from others. I think it's kind of implied that he's setting up a harem. And while all this is going on, it's really interesting that you know, Sinestro's view on society, on the way to make it work, is to basically take away people's individual freedoms but he could not be happier to himself be free now (laughs) because he was was locked inside the battery then he was locked inside John's subconscious and now he's he's in control of John's body now he's free, he can do whatever he wants and the first thing he's going to do with his freedom is take away the freedom of a planet dick but first we're going to go back to something very uncomfortable and he goes back to Rose's house to finish what John started before and what's, what's interesting is this is actually pretty redeeming for John Stewart because this kind of this says to us that that whole scene in the first three pages or so was Sinestro's influence leaking through John so John wasn't trying to sexually assault Rose that was Sinestro but now Sinestro's in full control... And there's nothing anybody can do about it. It gets really, really creepy. They don't do anything. It's not They're not pulling an identity crisis here. Okay? But it's still like, like... This is one of those cases where it's almost... It's just as powerful to not show anything. And they don't even get to the point where anything starts. So don't even get that impression that it happens just off-panel. It does not happen. But it gets so close to happening... That you're, there's a there's a definite level of tension. You know, it's 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 palpable. It's here. Um, you know, speaking of redeeming himself, John Stewart gets to gets to be the hero for once in one of these issues, and inside his own mind, he's wrestling with Sinestro, which is now a snake with two heads for some reason. <laughs> I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a deeper meaning there. I'm just not seeing, but You know they're going back and forth about how, you know, Sinestro's mind is strong. It's unified, which actually might be kind of not true since it has two heads. But whatever. And Sinestro keeps making the case that you know John's mind is fractured. It's all over the place. It's unorganized. You know, a mind that's fractured, that's split into sections, cannot be strong. It cannot fight. It cannot fight me. It cannot be strong. Turns out, at least for the purposes of this story A mind being fractured means that that mind can attack you from all sides at once Sinestro gets overwhelmed and just ripped apart literally By every aspect of John's fractured psyche Which which is represented by people in his life You know, like Katma and Hal Jordan and Kilowog and Rose and her son and, And Sinestro realizes he's losing control and he refuses to be trapped again. So he does the only thing he can do. He gets the hell out of there. And if there's one thing I am glad for, for John's sake, in this entire issue, it's that Rose and her son get to physically see a giant red monster snake fly out of John's head and out of their home. So they, so there's no question in either of their minds after this that You know, John was possessed by something that he was not acting the way he was because that's how he is, but because he was influenced by this weird, freaky alien soul. (laughs) And we get a nice ending to this issue. You know, John Stewart's. You know, he's accepted by Rose and her son again. There's no, I'm sure there will be uncomfortableness down the road, but for now it's okay, and he's welcome in their home again. And it's it's odd. It's you get this almost picture of this nuclear family of, you know, there's John sitting on the couch in Rose's house with his feet up and Rose sitting next to him, kind of touching his hand. He's sipping drink- a drink from a mug that says My Hero on it. And the kid is soft to the side reading or playing or something. help. Maybe, well, maybe he's reading this issue. Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, he's kind of unsettled. Because something's missing, something red, and something red again, referring back to Sinestro, which, all right, there, there are a few things I take from this. All right, first of all, first of all, John seems almost uncomfortable in this this brief moment of normalcy. You know, you know he and he's he's looking at the cup that says my hero on it. He's kind of has this look in his eyes of of you know that's wrong. This is wrong because. I get, since Mosaic started, he really stopped being a superhero. You know, he's not even like, he's not even a regular Green Lantern anymore. You know, he is in powers and in name and in concept, but he's, he's he's trying to be the architect of a civilization, basically. To he if he, it looks like it feels wrong to him, to be referred to as a hero. And in the last panel, he's looking longingly out the window. Says something's missing, something red. And it makes you wonder, like, how big a part of him had Sinestro come to be? How big a part of all this? Because, like, Sinestro has been inside John since before the mosaic started. You know, John Stewart has not experienced the mosaic or an attempt to make the mosaic work without Sinestro inside him influencing him in some way. So How much of what he did was a direct result of Sinestro being there, and how much of it was a direct result of just John's mind, and how much of what John's mind is and has been, is the result of Sinestro's manipulation, if any, if any before this issue, you know, it's it's a real chicken and egg kind of thing, you know, did John get mostly where he is because of himself or because of this external internal force? and what does he think about having to go it alone without that influence now it's 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 a perfect excuse you know as long as you have your worst villain inside you pulling some strings even even if only occasionally pulling strings you have a really good scapegoat for anything bad you do or, or any failure you have but now john doesn't have that crutch anymore he doesn't have that safety net which you know, Sinestro's soul is grafted into your mind. That's a safety net. Jesus Christ. Um, another thing that I thought was pretty interesting to think about is that, you know, okay, in current continuity, we you know, quote unquote, discovered because it w- it was retconned that Sinestro never died. You know, he existed in the battery as energy. Uh, eventually, the Sinestro that would emerge in Emerald Twilight and be killed by Hal Jordan was just a really elaborate construct that parallax made because you know parallax was in the battery and you know sinestro woke it up and they became buddies and and they orchestrated the whole emerald twilight thing and the fall of hal jordan and all that so there is really i think really fertile ground here to say you know if if any a writer ever felt like it they could go, they could go back and make a case that John Stewart was at one point possessed by parallax in the same way that Hal Jordan was and it would it would work it would really really work so but honestly i'm i'm not entirely sure if, if the series is still in continuity or not so we'll we'll see we'll, we'll see a little further down the road i i want to say it is though just because they tend to not retcon things out of Green Lantern, they retcon new things in. So, so yeah, that's the issue. That's issue three. Um, no letters page this week. I'm kind of disappointed by that. Those comics are tend to be like two, three months ahead, so this issue should have been the one with letters about issue number one. Instead, you got another page of Gerard Jones kind of waxing psychotically about his career, basically. And even, even the last paragraph, last sentence of the last paragraph says, you know, he poses all these questions for a page, and he says, Will Mosaic answer that? I have no idea. I only know one sure thing. Write me letters, and I'll shut up. So hopefully people start writing in by issue four, because I am so, so curious to see what comic fans at the time this was coming out thought of this book is so atypical and bizarre. Speaking of which, you should totally write to me at lanterncast at gmail dot com or dan at lanterncast dot com or leave a voicemail at 206-202-1159 or go to the Talkback thread for this issue in thecomicforums dot com scroll down to lanterncast it's under L, it's alphabetical. I'm just really really curious to hear because this is this is one of those books that I don't think a lot of current uh I want to say current eh, how do I want to word this if you came on in the Jeff Johns era you've probably never heard of this book or if you have heard of it you've most likely never read it and even if even if you hadn't hell I started reading Decades ago And I never read this book until now So this this is a very kind of under the radar You know, indie Green Lantern book If you want to call it that So I am very curious to hear From anybody out there Who who has not read this book before How does this sound? What does this sound like to you? If you have read it before what What do you think? What did you think then As you were reading it And what about now revisiting it? And if there's anyone out there who's reading this along with me for the first time, absolutely write in, because I am so curious as to what somebody else's initial read of this material is like. And, you know, the fresher the experience, the better. So, alright. Talk to you next time.